All right. Well, if you would, take out your Bibles and let's return again to uh, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, let me say a word of welcome to any guests that are with us this morning. I'm very thankful to have you here. Hope that you'll be blessed by your time with us. And uh, also, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, feel free to use one uh, provided uh, in the seats there in front of you. And you'll find our passage this morning on page 857. 857. Uh, are your phones turned down this morning? <laughs> you, uh, you, you don't want to uh, get a message and, uh, and have your, you know, your phone start making a, a loud noise during the, uh, the service. Isn't it interesting how technology has changed the ways that we send and receive messages? Um, For most of history, if you wanted to send a message to someone, you had to send a messenger. Uh, If you were sending a message to someone a few towns over, you would likely use a professional messenger. That is, there was someone that you would pay for this journey, for them to make that journey for you and communicate that message to the person you were sending it to. Or maybe if you were sending a message to someone in the same town, in the same village, uh, you might find a, a, a lad in the village and you know, give him a nickel or something. Say, would you go to the, you know, the butcher and tell him I'll be by later today and this is what I want him to, to have ready. Uh, imagine if this morning, uh, instead of sending and receiving messages on your phone, uh, we sent those same messages the way people did for most of history, using real messengers. This may be a boy comes through the, the back door back there, and he's, and he's panting, he's, he's, he's out of breath, he's been running, and he, he makes his way kind of quietly to you, and he, and he leans over, and he whispers in your ear, and says, I've got a message from your friend Joe. I think our team has a good chance today, Right? <laughs> You want to say anything back? You say, thumbs up. And he runs back out, you know, <laughs> to find Joe. Our, our world would be much more complicated if we sent all the messages we send today with real human messengers. And yet we all understand that there are messages that are so important uh, that we typically want to communicate them in person if possible. Uh, We wouldn't send a text message to someone to let them know that their loved one has passed away. Uh, There are some matters that are so important that we still see the need for communicating in person as an act of love, as an act of care. Well, this morning we are returning uh, one more time to a group of shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. Uh, Their typical evening got turned upside down when the darkness around them suddenly turned to piercing, bright, holy light. And suddenly in front of them, there's this angel of the Lord delivering a message. And it was a message for them. 
And yet, friends, in the sovereignty of God, it's also a message for us. That is, the message that was recorded from God through this messenger to these blue-collar men working outside of Bethlehem, it was recorded and it was written down for our sakes. The angel even says it's a message for all the people. Uh, In God's providence, it comes to us in scriptural form, and it says, unto you was born this day. So, So as we see how the shepherds respond to this message that God has sent a Savior to the world, we also have to be asking ourselves, how are we now responding to that same message being delivered to us? So let's finish our study of this portion of Luke 2 and the encounter with the shepherds. Look with me afresh. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We're going to finish our study of this passage under four headings. The first is this, the message faithfully proclaimed. The message faithfully proclaimed. This may seem obvious. It is also vital. This angel of the Lord... And that choir of angels that suddenly surrounded these men in this overwhelming, glorious light, proclaiming in song the purpose of Christ's coming, all of this was the delivery of a message of truth. That is, the angel of the Lord faithfully delivered the message God had given that angel to deliver. Can you imagine how different this account would be had the angel delivered a false message? What if they had appointed to a different child? 
Can you imagine the angel of the Lord saying, Unto you is born this day in the town of Beth Shemesh. Another town just a few miles down the road. A, 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 a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a crib. And the angels, the shepherds go off that direction looking for, 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 for that child. What would we say about such a message? We would say it's a false message. It's a false gospel. It was pointing to a false Messiah. We would say these are not angels from the Lord. <laughs> these would be devilish angels. These would be demons disguising themselves as angels of light. These shepherds would find themselves pointing, uh, being brought to a child who is not the true Savior and cannot save. And I say all that just to say, Mount Hermon, everything hinges on the true gospel being proclaimed faithfully. When someone preaches a false gospel, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they are participating in the work of demons. What could be more wicked than to point sinners to a way of salvation that doesn't actually save? What can be more wicked than to give people a false hope that will leave them broken in the end? The message must be proclaimed. If we want to see people come to Christ the way these shepherds come to Christ, then it all begins as it began with them. Gospel proclamation. Nobody gets saved by accident. People don't just come to Jesus without first hearing about him. We must be a people who share the gospel. Romans 10, 14. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? These shepherds would have never come to Jesus had someone not brought them the message about Jesus. Whether it's the unreached in the Middle East or whether it's your next door neighbor, they have no hope of salvation, no hope of going to heaven, no hope of finding peace with God unless they first hear the message. The shepherds didn't stumble and find their way to the manger. They were told and they were told faithfully that they were told in truth. They delivered the true message about the true Messiah. And this is just an opportunity to remind us as a local church and as individual Christians that we are called to be a people of the message. We are called to be a people of the truth. Second, we see the message sincerely believed. The message sincerely believed. One moment, these shepherds are surrounded by this choir of, of angels, that heavy, bright, piercing light, the, the sound, the booming sound of angelic voices praising God. I just remind you, there's nothing in this passage about them being in the air. It's, you know, they're, they're likely standing all around them. Angels in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament are not typically girls. They're guys. They typically have booming voices. So this is you know, an overwhelming experience surrounding these shepherds. And all of a sudden, it's over. They're all gone. 
It's like for one moment, the angelic rim got unzipped and suddenly their eyes were open and they saw all of this stuff that's happening around them in the rim of angels and then whoop, it zipped back up. And suddenly it's dark. They can hear the crickets again and some sheep, you know, buying behind them, you know. And they're just looking at each other like, what, what in the world has just happened? Uh, maybe some stars can be seen in the sky. And they are, I imagine their jaws are open, right? And they're just staring at each other and they're trying to think through what, what has just happened. What do we do now? Well, verse 15 tells us how they respond. Verse 15. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This, this is not Zechariah from Luke chapter 1. That is, there's no evidence here that the shepherds respond with any doubt or cynicism. They don't, there's no evidence from Luke that they talk to each other going, how do we know whether this is really true? Right? No, nothing like that. This event appears to have been so overwhelming. This event appears to have been so supernatural, with the glory of the Lord so obvious. These shepherds seem certain of where this message came from. They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. No one comes to Jesus without first believing the gospel message that's proclaimed to them. The angel announced a Savior, Christ the Lord, born in Bethlehem, to be found, lying in all places, an animal trough, a manger. If the disciples had not believed that message, if the disciples had thought this is some you know, crazy thing that's happening, but it's suspicious and we don't believe these angels, they would not have left their sheep. They would have not have gone to, to Christ. They believed, therefore they went. For us, the question then is, have you come to actually believe the gospel message? Have you come to actually believe that there is a holy God in heaven? That you were created in his image? And that you are a sinner before that holy God like the rest of us? Have you come to believe that he really did send a savior into the world? Who lived, who died, and who rose again? That through faith in him, you could have peace with God. Your sins forgiven. That you, could be, that you could escape the wrath of hell that we deserve and spend eternity with God as your Father. The reality is you will not call out on Jesus if you don't believe that message. Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? You see, this whole passage is just an, a living illustration of Romans 10.14, right? Someone must preach... In order for someone to hear the gospel, and then for them to hear the gospel, they must believe the gospel. And then when they believe the gospel, then they will call. But how are they to call on someone in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe if they do not hear? So the shepherds heard. Now they believe. And it's because they believe that they will go to Christ. And so third, we see the message urgently obeyed. We see the message urgently obeyed. The shepherds knew what they were supposed to do. 
The angel had told them to look for a child lying in a manger. That's their sign to look for. This this king of the world, this appointed one who will save sinners, you will find him lying in an animal trough. Well, he's not going to be lying in an animal trough two weeks from now. Somebody's going to get this baby a a crib, right? So if they're going to find this child, if they're going to see him on this night, they've got to go. And verse 16 tells us they went. Verse 16, and they went with haste. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Three observations from this verse. First, notice that they went to Jesus. And in their case, they literally, physically went to Jesus. They went into the city of Bethlehem. Uh, We can imagine them asking around, looking for a house where a new baby has been born. Remember, Bethlehem was a little town. And no doubt, the unwed pregnant girl was a topic of gossip in the town. Especially in this town where most of the people were likely kin to her, distant relatives. And certainly if she had told anybody that, a Gabriel had, that an angel had appeared to her and told her that her child was going to be the son of God, everybody in town would probably be, have been talking about Mary. In fact, I think there's a reason why Mary's name is mentioned first here, right? They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Why is Mary's name first? One reason might be it was through Mary they found the house. Everybody knew about the house where that girl was at, right? She had an undeserved reputation. But the point is this. They found the house. They they went to Jesus. And this is a picture of how salvation works. You hear the message. You believe the message. And then you obey the message and go to Jesus. Mount Hermon, good theology will not save you. No one is saved by what they know. There will be people in hell who believe right doctrine and gospel truths. The whole point of the gospel message, the whole point of good theology is to call us to go to Jesus. Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Jesus taught in John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Everything depends not on what you know, but whether or not you have obeyed the gospel message and actually come to Christ. What does that mean? It means you go to him in prayer. It means you you communicate with him. You call on him. You confess your sins to him, your need for him, and you entrust yourself to him. You ask him to save you. And this coming to Christ is not a one-time only event. It's the very life of a Christian. We, we now belong to Christ. We go to Him in our hearts every day, thanking Him for His gifts, bringing Him our burdens, living life in His company, living life in His presence. 
By faith, we are one with him. By faith, we are united to him. So that just as in a marriage, there is regular conversation and life together with a spouse. So when we come to Christ, we are made one with him by faith. And we now live life with him. Live life, quorum Deo, before his face. Live life having regular conversations with him in prayer. Hearing from him in the word. There is no person more dear to us than the Savior who knows us completely and yet loves us so deeply. Notice that these shepherds left their sheep. Now, the verse doesn't actually say that explicitly, but it's hard to imagine that they went with haste into Bethlehem and brought their sheep with them. Uh, I think we're meant to to picture that they likely left the sheep in a fold of some kind where they had been closed in for the night. We we don't need to imagine that they left them out just wandering where sheep, where uh, wolves and things could get them. Nothing like that. But in order to obey the message, in order to come to Christ, they had to stop what they were doing. They had to interrupt their lives. They had to change their plans for that night. And they had to come. This is how it often looks for an unbeliever who comes to Jesus. Here they are going about their lives. Here they are following their heart. Here they are doing the best they can in this life. And then suddenly the gospel message comes to them and it changes everything. And if they hear the gospel and they believe it, they know they can no longer be the same person. They must make a decision. Either I will run to Christ and follow Christ and be a Christian, or I will reject Christ and continue my life as it is now. Coming to Christ often means big changes in a person's life. These shepherds left their sheep for a few hours, but they returned to them. They were able to continue in their livelihood in light of what they had experienced. But some people come to Christ and find they can never return to their past life. How many in the early church were saved out of idolatry or out of sexual immorality, out of jobs and livelihoods where uh, they had to take advantage of people and deceive people and rob people? That was their job. Uh, Paul told the Christians in Ephesians, he said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Implication, there were Christians in Ephesus who had been thieves. And now he says, you're saved. You can't go back to what you were doing. Your life has to change. Whatever men these shepherds had been before, after now having come to Christ, they can no longer be the same men. They may have the same profession, but every part of their lives will be affected by what has happened. They've they've met the Savior. And then third, just notice that they did go with haste. That time was of the essence. If they did not go hastily, they might be too late. So also for the unbeliever, coming to Christ is not something to put off until later. We are not promised tomorrow. How many examples have there been in recent days of young people and middle-aged people whose lives were cut short by tragic accidents? 
We live in a world of dangers, and if God has appointed for our time to come earlier rather than later, it will come. God does not owe us 80 years. God does not owe us 60 years. God does not owe us 40 years. The time to come to the Lord Jesus Christ is now. There ought to be a sense of urgency in the heart of the sinner. It is time to make haste. If you are not sure where your soul stands with God, everything else ought to be put aside until that matter has been dealt with through the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else is more important. Nothing else is more urgent. And then finally, see the message eagerly shared. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Okay, so these these shepherds, they find their way to the house. And and there is Mary, this, this teenage girl who has recently given birth. Here's Joseph, this young man, most likely around age 20. Josh's age just turned 20, right? So, Josh, Joseph. And there's lots of other people, lots of other people around. Remember, we've shown that this word in, it's it's a guest lodging. It's not like a hotel. It's not a Motel 6. This This is a relative's house with space for guests. And we're told that it was full, and because of that, Jesus was born in the area of the house on the bottom floor where the donkey stayed. And that's why he's lying in a, in a donkey's trough. Mary had to give birth in the area where the donkey was kept. So when the shepherds arrive, they find a busy place. They find a full house. They find a lot of people. Likely relatives of Joseph and Mary, other descendants of David in this house for the registration that the Roman government had said must happen. As we've seen, there's little evidence that the people in this house had been trying to care for Joseph and Mary. Likely because of the suspicious circumstances. Indeed, under Jewish law, these appear to be illegal circumstances. Right? Here's an unwed girl. With a fellow she's betrothed to, but he is not yet her husband. All the way. And here she is giving birth. You can imagine what it was like in that house. Folks walking around with tense faces. Disapproval. Lots of whispering back and forth. This child is being born out of wedlock. Mary clearly guilty of fornication. And probably Joseph, too. It's got to be his child. Otherwise, why is he here? Why did he not uh, end the betrothal? Uh, This is a a couple who, in the the eyes of the other people in the house, couldn't practice self-control until their wedding day. What an embarrassment to the family. What shame they brought on themselves. What shame they brought on their parents. And then there's shepherds at the door. They knock on the door of the house. Remember, Bethlehem's a small town. It's very possible that the owners of the house knew, at least in passing, who these shepherds were. Uh, in my imagination, the, the owner of the house comes to the door and 
he sees, we'll say, three shepherds. And he speaks to the one that he knows best. Abbas, it's late. Is everything okay? All is well, Jacob. Something amazing has happened tonight. We're looking for a child. We've been told that the child was born this day. Folks say you have a, a young woman in your house who, in your childbirth, is, has there been a newborn in your house this evening? You can imagine what a strange conversation this was. This doesn't happen every day. And the shepherds are allowed in. And there they find the child. And sure enough, the child's lying in the donkey's trough. And the shepherds look at each other. Right? How was the sign? Can you believe it? There it is. And then they begin to speak to Mary and to Joseph Although you can imagine everybody else now kind of peering in, you know, listening in on what's going on. And the shepherds begin to tell their story. And they, and they tell what, what happened to them. And they share the message that the angel had related to them. And I just imagine that as they share, suddenly the ill thoughts of people towards Mary and Joseph begin to have at least some cracks in them. They begin to understand maybe there's something going on here much bigger than we realized. Indeed, at least according to these shepherds, this child is the Messiah. This child is the promised king, the savior of Israel. Luke tells us about two reactions. Two reactions. In verse 18, the people wondered. Do you see that? The people wondered. What could all this mean? Who is this child? What is happening here? Can, can it be true? Is it not amazing what these men are telling us? And then in verse 19, we see Mary's reaction. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I think Mary is awesome, by the way. I really like Mary. This is a girl likely around 14 years old. But she is not a flighty, silly girl. I heard one pastor describe Mary as a deep soul. Even at 14, she's a, or around that age, she's a deep soul. I, I think that's right. She, she's quiet. She's thoughtful. She's a ponderer. Right? She ponders. She's part of something big and she knows it. She now knows she has a massive responsibility on her shoulders, her and Joseph together. They now have to raise the Son of God. And so here she is, and she's listening to what the shepherds are telling her, and she's taking it in. She's reflecting on it. She's pondering. And she will not forget the events of this night. That's actually the idea of the word translated treasured up, right? To treasure up. She's treasuring these things in her heart. That word means to preserve something, to protect something, to keep it safe. And by the way, many commentators think that it was Mary herself that was Luke's source for this account. We already saw when we started our study of this gospel that Luke had opportunity to meet, to meet Mary in her later years. That Luke had the opportunity to actually sit down with Mary and gain information from her and others who could remember this night decades later. 
And talk to Luke about here's what happened that night in Bethlehem. And so here she is treasuring these things on the night of Jesus' birth. And by the Holy Spirit, later they would be written down. For who? For us. That we would know them. That we would believe them. Mount Hermon, if you have heard the gospel, if you have believed the gospel, and if you have obeyed the gospel and come to Jesus... Are you like the shepherds now eagerly sharing that message with others? Are you passionate about making sure others know what Christ has done for you and the truth that God has revealed to you that he sent a savior into the world for sinners? This week I learned about uh, Georg Greshuk. I have no idea if that's really how to say his name. It's Romanian. Uh, he's a Romanian pastor who lived under the tyranny of the Soviet Union and now for many years has lived under a different kind of government that allows the gospel to be shared freely in Romania. And though especially eastern Romania is not a place where people are often eager to hear the gospel, this one man shared the gospel with over 3,000 people one-on-one -on -one last year. An average of more than eight people a day. It has become his passion. This man, by the way, is in his uh, late 60s, early 70s. And it has become his passion at the end of his race, as he, at the end of his fight, before he goes to meet Jesus, it has become his passion to have as many spiritual children as God will give him. And so he's been trying to share the good news with anybody, anybody that will listen. And I'm just asking, how about us? Are we eager to share the message that has been given to us? The message that we believe? The message that sent us run into Jesus? Are you sharing? And then verse 20 tells us the result of all of this. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. As it had been told them, as strange as it sounded, they really did find a child in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. The angel's message was true. The long-awaited Savior and King has been born. And they went back to their sheep, praising God, worshiping God. And this is the goal and purpose of everything that God does. That we would know joy in worshiping and honoring Him. So, I'm done. I've tried to faithfully deliver the message. The Savior that you need, that I need, Jesus Christ, has come. He is available to make us right with God. The question is, do you sincerely believe it? The question is, have you urgently obeyed it? And the question is, will you eagerly share it? These were just a bunch of blue-collar workers in Bethlehem. Nobody cared about them. And yet they set the example for us. Let us learn from the shepherds. Let us go to the good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, and find peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.